0: like about every chapter there are still some important parts of the book that I haven't been able to to cover uh, for instance I haven't spent much time walk talking about the importance of Abraham to Christians today uh, there's a, a section there that compares um, uh, Abraham's two, uh, wife and his concubines Sarah and uh, Hagar and, uh, and the free and this and the slave and so we didn't cover that some of it some of the sections we only covered in growth group and didn't cover during the this sermon series Uh, so the the seven weeks that we've spent in Galatians hasn't really been enough time to uh, to get through it all Uh, so being the last week you know I have the opportunity to go back and cover all of those things that we haven't covered to this point. It shouldn't take us more than a couple of hours, and, uh, and, and I think you'll be enriched, you know, by saying, yes, we got it all taken care of. The other option, <coughs> the other option, yeah, lock the doors there, Brother Watts, lock the doors. <coughs> the, uh, the other option is that, I just make it a little briefer. and uh, and hit some highlights, and uh, you may still have some questions unanswered, and please feel free to bring those to me, and I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. And so my task today is to summarize the letter that Paul wrote to these young churches he'd planted in the Roman province of Galatia, in the region that we would today call Central Turkey. And we understand, if you've been part of this sermon series to this point, that the the core issue, the fundamental challenge that these churches are facing, or the fundamental question that these churches have, is... Do we need to do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to become Christians? Okay. How important, perhaps another way of thinking about it, how important is the nation of Israel to God's plan of salvation? Okay. For the Gentiles. Do the Gentiles need to become part of the nation of Israel in order to become a Christian, and so the conversation is is Paul throughout the book identifies several uh, what we call boundary markers. the The main one that, that he talks about quite a bit is circumcision. Do do there is there a need to be circumcised for a Gentile male to be circumcised in order to become a Christian? But he also mentions the feasts, and there's also the the crisis with uh, the Apostle Peter over food and and clean and unclean food and who you can eat, clean and unclean people who you can eat with. So those three boundary markers find their ways into the conflict in this book. And and the the last thing for us to remember is that the churches in Galatia didn't just come up with this on their own. Paul had taught them. In fact, Paul says at the beginning, he, he talks about, are you so quickly following another gospel? Okay He's like, I've taught you the right, the truth, God's gospel, the Gospel of Jesus. And he says, Now someone else, or it could be a group of people, are teaching you another gospel, okay, another uh, some more steps, some more hoops to jump through in order to be saved And he says, It's actually not because gospel means good news. He says it's not good news, you know, right? you're chasing another good news that really isn't good news because it's more to do it's more work it's more more um, requirements and obligations and it takes away from everything that jesus has done because you're saying that what jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection is not enough okay and that is is a a teaching a, a false teaching that he can't that can't be tolerated and so when we come to verses 11 through 18 of galatians and i know we read the first 10 verses but uh, we're going to be in the l- last uh, half of this chapter of chapter 6 paul also writes a summary okay he's reached the end of the letter and he says oh i need to put in here a summary you know the um, executive summary, only it's not at the beginning, it's it's still at the end. To this point, the letter, it seems, has been dictated by Paul to a scribe. That was a, a very common thing to do. Scribes were, you know, had neat handwriting, and <laughs> they could fit a lot of words on a page, and pages were expensive. So uh, Paul would, would use the uh, the scribes, and they were probably quicker than, than other people. It wasn't that Paul didn't know how to write, he just used somebody else. And uh, but he gets now to verse 11 of chapter 6 and he says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. He's reached a he is finished with the secretary, okay, finished with the scribe. He says, I want to just give you some 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 thoughts. It's like when you get a card, right? And it has your name on the outside of the envelope. And then on the inside of the card it says Dear Peter. And a nice verse from Hallmark. And then signed whoever. I don't know about you. Do you read all the Hallmark words? Right? The thing that I look for most is the handwritten words I'm much more interested in the handwritten words and, and I'll skip the the hallmark words and I'll, I'll read the handwritten words at the beginning handwritten words at the end turn it over onto the back cover see if there's any handwritten words there is there a personal message from this person and then maybe I'll go back and read the hallmark words to say I wonder if this person gave much thought to what it actually says right? because I'll tell you when I buy a card I go oh it says on the front happy birthday yep it's for a birthday boy yes okay we're on the right track here um, age yes the age is correct oh it says something generic in there have a good day great we're set okay and, and I know some people are more careful Right? They look at the scripture that's been chosen and they say, is this appropriate for this person? Um, but it's, you can't tell that. When you get a card, you can't tell if it was just one they grabbed off the shelf or one that they spent 10 minutes selecting exactly the right the right verse for you. Um, so, I'm not anti-card, but the the personal notes mean something. That's really where I'm going with this. Personal notes mean something. So, at the end of this letter... Paul says, I'm going to write something, my own personal note, all right? Secretary, you've got the rest of the afternoon off. And um, there's a couple of reasons, he says, I'm writing in large letters, a couple of reasons why uh, this could be the case. Some people think that he had difficulty with his eyes, okay, and uh, that he... He he talks in other places about being ill, about having a thorn in his flesh, and people have, between the large letters and those other references, have conjectured that Paul had an eye problem, so that when he wrote, he had to use large letters. Um, It doesn't seem to have stopped him reading. He was very well read, so I I don't, it's hard to to say. But uh, the other option is just that uh, this was his version of a fluorescent highlighter, okay, that that he's putting in bold prints his conclusion on the matter, okay? And it would be interesting if we got to the end of Galatians and there suddenly our Bible text went to bold, right? Because this was something that Paul wanted to, to emphasize or like he's underlining, so It's hard to say, but certainly this section that he writes in his own hand is more important than just sincerely yours, okay? You don't really care if it's sincerely or not. They could put yours. They could put, and maybe if they put with love, you know, and it's that person, then you're like, oh, (laughs) you know, but uh, other than that, it's just like sincerely yours, faithfully yours, genuinely yours, you know, And, and you go, okay, we'll move on. So, uh, it's not the most important part of the letter. But just because Paul's getting to the end of his letter here doesn't mean that it stops being important. And so, he's putting it in bold, he's summarizing what has taken place. Let's read this together and uh, then we'll, we'll get into talking about it. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, so there's a lot of different thoughts in there. And uh, and I want to just... Th- there's several ways that people have summarized this. But uh, I want to highlight this one particular scheme that I came across. And uh, that is that there's this contrast that runs between... Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia, he says, Okay, these people that have come that are saying that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He, <laughs> he sort of says... Let me, let me contrast myself with them. They are doing this so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh, right? So they're able to go back home, and we might do something like this. How many baptisms has your church had this year? Okay? And, and they're able to go back to Jerusalem or wherever they came from and say, Hey, this is how many circumcisions we had when we were in Galatia. Right? We went there and we made the Gentiles Jews and the Christians on top of that. right? We did really well. We had a great time. And so that's what they're boasting about. And, and then, so he says, this is what they boast about. They want to peg you up as a, on a scorecard. He says, but, but in contrast, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not what he's done. For what Christ has done for him. That's the boast. That's the uh, only thing that that matters. Um, let's have a look at the next contrast here. He says the reason that they're insisting on circumcision is they do this to avoid being persecuted. This is a little convoluted, but you re- might remember that Jews have a particular standing in the Roman empire right they're given permission for certain things they are worried that if it seems that they're they're worried the jewish communities maybe the jewish christians that if gentiles kind of become part of this jewish group these christians that are still part of judaism if the gentiles become part of that but they're not circumcised they don't keep the feasts and they they don't uh observe clean and unclean and maybe don't keep the Sabbath. If they're not doing those things and yet they're saying they're Jewish and it gets them out of various requirements that the Roman government has of everybody else except the Jews, then there's a chance that the Jews will lose their benefits, right? The the Romans go, oh, this is is just a rort, You know, you guys are just taking advantage of a loophole in the system. You Gentiles, you're not becoming Jewish, but you're just saying you're Jewish. And you're following a Jewish rabbi. Okay? And so, in order to make sure, there's a political element here, in order to make sure that they don't lose the favor they have with the Roman government, then that's one of the motivations they have for insisting that Gentiles become circumcised. Okay? So they're doing it so that their life as Jews doesn't become more difficult. In contrast, Paul says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is going to be difficult. Right? We, you know, he's got the scars to prove it. And so he's not impressed by people insisting on something else, a hardship for Gentiles, so that the Jews can have it easier. Particularly if we're talking about Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, right? That just makes it all the worse. Another contrast that we see here um, in, in the pink. Uh, so the com- his opponents there are compelling the Galatians to be circumcised. He's not talking here about the motivation, but the actual um, event, the actual action. Paul just says, in contrast, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. <laughs> okay? So he just says, this is the big debate. This is the big dispute. This is what, you know, you're dividing the church over. You're. I'm getting messages sent to me. This is the big problem. He says, neither of those things matter, n- mean anything. And, and, and haven't there been things that churches have divided over that are probably a lot less important than you know, circumcision or identifying with with, with uh, Israel um, that we've made something. And Paul says, no, these things don't mean anything. Well, his opponents are, in, in the blue, are looking to impress people in the flesh, in the world, okay? This is how we make things right, if we... We get the the worldly stuff, right? The physical stuff, right? Now, Paul, I don't want to say it's a contrast between physical and spiritual, but that's their focus, right? They're not concerned about the hearts of people. They're concerned about the right um, procedure, the right ritual to go through. And Paul, in verse 15, says, What counts is new creation." Okay? When, when he says new creation, it, I think it, it can be a big picture of the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation that is, you know, God is building that began with the resurrection of Jesus, putting to right everything that had been wrong since Eden. Okay, That process has begun. But I think he's also saying what counts is the new creation in the person. Right, it, it, G- Jeremiah talks about hearts being circumcised not just flesh, and, and not obviously a medical procedure to circumcise a heart, but the, the attitude, the spirit, the, the, the values of people, that, that that is how we express our identity as people of God, our faithfulness to God, not through whatever ritual we might go through. That's what counts the most. And so, Paul, this is his summary, okay? This is who they are, this is who I am. Now you guys have to choose, okay? You have to choose uh, which way you're going to lean. Another way to to summarize this book is to just remind ourselves of some of the absolute statements that that Paul makes as he writes this. Um, We'll come to this one in a moment, but I I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the gospel, uh, beginning of the letter rather, he says in verse six of chapter one, "I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live, uh, called you to live in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said." So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So, what, uh, how important is the gospel in this letter? right? Paul is very concerned that the gospel message be maintained. That, that all the grace that is available through Jesus be what motivates and drives the lives of these new Christians. But as we go through, uh, we're going to see I've got three statements here that he makes, uh, that he sort of says, this is the minimum. This is the bottom line. And so in chapter 5 and verse 6, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself love okay you see the letter itself you probably picked up is fairly repetitive right paul's makes the point and then he makes the point again and then he finds another way to make the point <laughs> and so hopefully by the end of the letter we get the point but he 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 makes these statements as he goes through right this is the crisis but here's what's important okay don't don't get hung up on the crisis you're going through, and forget about what's important. And so here he says, okay, there's this circumcision thing that's, that's urgent, that's causing a lot of problems, but the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I think that's a really uh, important verse for us to uh, keep in our minds. Chapter 5 and verse 14, you might have heard this one before. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. All right? You're like, hang on, what happened to love the Lord your God? Okay, I think that's assumed. But he's saying, if you want to talk about what you're doing, okay, if you want to talk about how to love God, you're going to do that by loving your neighbors. All right? And that is the summary, he says, of the entire law. right? Is, he, he, Paul has no interest in getting bogged down in details, even though if you read the letter, you'll go, there's a lot of details in here. Right? But he still keeps in mind the big picture, the fundamentals, and, and doesn't allow those details to erode the, the fundamentals. And then in chapter 6 and verse 14, it sounds a lot like, the first one there. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Okay. So we see the things that count, the things that capture the whole law. We might say the things that are the gospel that he's concerned about, right? The reason he's writing this letter is he says, I want you to keep in mind the gospel. Don't replace the gospel. So, faith in God, faith in the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, expressing itself through love. Another way of saying that is because you have faith in God, because you love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law. And then what counts, what motivates is new creation. Right? It's not the checklists, it's the new person we're becoming, to live in the new world, the new heaven and new earth that God is creating. And so I think those three statements also provide a good summary of the book. Okay? What's important? Right? A lot of words, a lot of discussion of circumcision and uncircumcision, of Jew and Gentile, but this is what counts. Because Paul really wants to say... Um it, it's in chapter chapter five, is it? Um, no, in chapter three. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, the, this worrying about whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, he says, no, there's, there's not male nor female, there's not Greek nor Jew, there's not f- slave nor free. He says, in, in Christ, there's an equality. Right? We're, we're one. And so this whole conversation is missing the point we're the same, okay. And so, m- again, this is something that I think is is so important for us to incorporate into our lives. I'll we'll give you a third way, a third way of summarizing. And in this book, uh, in Galatians, I think it's it's three crosses. You can picture the three crosses on the hill if you like, um, but. As Jesus dies, but I think it it assumes that G- everything hinges on Jesus crucifixion right so we don't need to restate that but in um, in chapter f- uh, no sorry I'll turn the page in um, chapter two in verse 20. Paul is able to say there, I. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, I've been crucified with Christ, and you think, well, that sounds that sounds bad, but he says, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. You see what happens when we crucify ourselves, or or allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ. It's not that we lose our life, although, you know, in a sense we do, but we gain the life of God living within us. And so, this is, I think for Paul, a key question. Have you, not have you been circumcised, have you been crucified with Christ? How important is Christ in your life? Does, does Christ live within you? Okay, And so this is, I think, the, the fundamental cross that we we bear. It's the crux of our faith. We take up our cross when we follow Jesus. And the idea of taking up our cross and following Jesus doesn't mean that we we put the cross on a chain, or that we have a bumper sticker that, you know, with a picture of a cross it says, I'm following Jesus. It means that we're prepared to carry our cross to the place where people lose their lives. And I'm not saying necessarily, it's, oh, we're going to go and, you know, parachute into a jungle, you know, where we're likely to be speared to death in five minutes, right? That, that's not the purpose here. But I think it's saying, are you prepared, are you willing to go with Jesus to the point where you lose your identity and where your identity becomes Jesus' identity? When people look at you, do they see you or do they see Jesus? Because I think sometimes we fight pretty hard To keep our identity, don't we? To be known for the things that that we're good at. But we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us that live. It's Christ that lives within us. And so I think this picture of this first cross is one that uh, is important for us as we evaluate our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. I believe this is what's going on, and, and we didn't talk about this either, in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Right? He's saying this is who you used to be. This is who you how you used to identify yourself. This was the behavior you used to uh, engage in. But now... You're living for Jesus, and so let the Holy Spirit guide you into adopting Jesus' values because you've been crucified and with Christ, and now He lives in you. The Spirit lives in you. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, self control, uh, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So, this is the first one, crucified with Christ. The the second cross, and and actually, both of these are in the same, they're sort of part of the same phrase, but in verse 14, may I never, of chapter 6, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's that first cross that is assumed through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So, our second cross here, and again, I know I'm taking it out of order, is that we're crucified to the world. You see, when we die to self, part of that is we're dying to the world. Okay, what does that mean? It means that um, the values of the world, the values of society, the values of what is outside of Christ... We seek to diminish their influence in our lives. Okay? That, that we don't want those values anymore. We're human. We're going to struggle with that. <laughs> right? So this is not cut and dried. But, but that's our desire. That we're crucifying the world. Okay? And, uh, and that we... And, and then the other side of that is that the world is crucified to Paul, and I think a, 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 an option for us. There, there, there is a distinction between the world and the Christian. Okay, You see, it's not just sometimes when we think of this idea of crucifixion we, th- we think of Jesus on the cross and what he did for us, and that is fundamental. Right, But I think we need to understand our own relationship with Christ, and we can do that through this image of the cross, our own crucifixion, crucified with Christ, given life in Christ, given indwelled by the Spirit so that we have the fruit of the Spirit. And When we do that, our values change. And so, in a sense, we're crucified to the world. The world sort of separates itself. From us, but also we're okay with that because we've crucified the world, right? We've also created that gap, that distance that says, no, this is my new way of living. And so we can't say, oh, I'm going to be crucified with Christ, but I'm not going to change the way I live. I, I can't say I'm going to be crucified with Christ, but everything I believed beforehand about how the world operates and how people are and, and what's important in life, that, that was correct, right? I'm just adding Jesus to it, saying, no, when we do that, we recognize that there, there's a tension between who we were and who we are, between the life that we used to live and the life that we now live. With Christ and His Spirit within us, and so again we come to this, and we say, "If you think of picture these churches in Galatia, right? and they're arguing about how do you, be, how do the Gentiles become Christians? Right? What's it going to involve? You know, do they need to keep Passover? Do they need to keep Sabbath? What about unclean foods? What about the foods that are offered to idols? What about?" And they've got a list of things that Jewish people have done for centuries. And they're saying, hey, they're now following our Jewish rabbi. They're adopting our Jewish Old Testament. Like, what about all this? It says, okay, we've been crucified with Christ. Jews and Gentiles, black and white, Hispanics and Indians, you know, like Chinese, you know, wherever that it might be. We're, we've been crucified with Christ. And the way we live, the way we express may look different, right? Because, you know, if Jesus, we don't all have to eat Jewish food, do we? Right? Potluck, we just got the menu, you know, it came from Jerusalem, right? Olives in every dish, you know? Um some of you are saying, yes, please. Okay, but 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 that's not the point. The point is you've been crucified with Christ. That's what is important. How we express that may well be different and may have cultural uh, differences to it. Crucified to the world, the world crucified to us. Because we're living a new life, adopted into God's family. And so I think. Paul does a terrific job of just summarizing this letter and highlighting what's important because it is so easy for us to get caught up in details. Jesus has become Paul's priority and he wishes that for everyone. Paul is still participates in, in society. He participates in the Roman legal system. He's going to appeal to Caesar. He catches boats and uses that technology rather than walking everywhere. He's not saying that physical things are bad, um, but he is saying that they don't define my life. As we come into Christmas, how much do physical things define our lives? right. Now, probably most folks here aren't going to be getting up at 4.30 to see what's under the Christmas tree. Um, you already know because you put it there the night before. Um, but, but there's a lot of making and breaking how good Christmas is based on what's under that tree, isn't there? And, and so it, it can be easy for us to get caught up in saying, I'm defined I'm, by what's in the world. Paul says, that doesn't define our lives. That doesn't define who we are. That doesn't define our relationship with Christ, with God. Do you have Christ living within you? I believe this happens. This crucified with Christ, crucified to the world, and the world crucified to us. It happens at baptism. You know, Romans tells us that we're buried with Christ. The new creation begins. And so, uh, uh, that's the, the first step along this road to following Jesus, taking up our cross, and following Him. Amen. I pray that this study of, of Galatians has been one that has um, blessed you, that you've you've able to take away some of these points, whether it be however you, whichever of the three summaries I gave you grabbed your attention. I hope one of them gives you something that you can take and say, yeah, this is what I get out of it. This is what's important. This is what it means to be adopted by God, to be to follow the gospel, to be a child of the King. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, we are so grateful that we can call you Father, that you allow us who are, are Gentiles that have no genetic connection to, to Abraham Lord, that you allow us to be part of your family, and uh, we uh, are so so grateful for that. We're grateful for the uh, forgiveness, for the gospel that you you we have in Jesus, the good news of all that He has done for us. And Father, I just pray that we will never seek to add anything to that, Amen. that we will never minimize or reduce what Jesus endured on the cross, or the hope that he gives us yeah. through the empty tomb. Yeah. Father, we look forward to new creation. Yeah. We look forward to everything being made right. And uh, we, we are so uh, thankful that your spirit is already starting that process mm-hmm. in us. Uh, and so we pray that your spirit will more and more uh, develop the fruit of the spirit in our lives that we may reflect the new creation that it begins with us and spreads throughout this world father we praise you we thank you we love you all because of jesus and in his name Amen.